From the bowels of uncertainty and fear, from the mountains of euphoria and success, from the faraway lands of China and Far East, to the warm glowing sun of California coast and the top of the Freedom Tower, we bring you the Global Edge Talk. If you are an aspiring entrepreneur or hardened enterprise global executive with an edgy story of winning or defeat, entering new markets, or getting out of the old ones, we want to talk to you. We want to share your story. We want everyone to be on the edge. And because of you, we want everyone to have the edge, the global Edge. And now, the Global Edge talk host, Alex Romanovich. Hi, this is Alex Romanovich, and welcome to Global Edge Talk. Today, we have a wonderful, wonderful guest, Michael Casey. Michael is a well known TED speaker. Michael is a well known entrepreneur in sports equipment and fitness equipment. Michael just recently wrote a book. Uh, which we will talk about some more. I, I don't want to disclose the title of it just yet. Michael is also the CEO and president of the next generation dating site called Eight Dates. We'll talk more about this as well. And Michael is a wonderful, wonderful friend. Michael, welcome to our studio. Hi, thanks for having me. Michael, so welcome to our studio. First and foremost, I'd like to ask you to talk a little bit about yourself. You have a, such an amazing background. You're um, you're kind of a multicultural and global guy. You come from um, a family that is uh, multicultural. Please say a few words about that, about your childhood, about your growing up. Traveled the world. You've been um, all over the place, uh, in China, in Europe, in South America, everywhere. You've done some incredible, incredible things. You've met some uh, very famous people. You've made some money with very famous people. So you have a very decorated career and we'd love to learn more about this. Please say a few words about your childhood, about your early days of um, of your uh, career. Well, thank thank you for the uh, for the nice introduction. Let's hope I can live up to that. But um, I, I grew up in a small town in Youngstown, Ohio. Small town in Ohio, Youngstown, which is blue collar, all steel mills. And I had one of the few uh, fathers that did not work in the steel mill. He was a fireman. So I learned at a very early age about serving and giving back. And I had a very unique family. I had a mother who was from Lebanon. And at the time, you know, Lebanese married Lebanese. They didn't marry Irishmen who liked to, to drink. <laughs> so it was, a, and my, but my father's family comes from uh, the West Coast of Ireland, uh, his mother and father. So we had a very unique set of, uh, backgrounds on both sides. One side got along, everybody was happy, drank, smiled. The other side, everybody fought all the time and wanted to kill each other. And guess what side that was? I'll let you get, the listeners figure that out. But uh, the, the Lebanese taught me, I believe, how to be a merchant. And my dad's side taught me how to be humble. So that combination pretty much set me on a path that I knew I was going to do something entrepreneurial, and I knew I was going to try to help people. So I remember, you know, in high school, you know, I played sports and I, I really enjoyed working out and the fitness products. And I always thought, you know, why are these things so archaic? It was like 1960 and then it was 1970 and we're working out on 1950 equipment. And, and then the eighties came and I started to redesign things and people started to want to buy it. And that's when I knew there's a business here. And I, and I thought it was a global business. 
And with the background I had from my family, where my, my uncles and my cousins were all merchants from Lebanon, and all of them were entrepreneurs. And then my, and my dad was, you know, he was always helping people, you know, from his fireman background. I thought, well, I don't want to sell cigarettes and, and liquor and, and, you know, bad things. Fitness is a good thing. So I, I figured, let me go into this business. It'll help people. I could have fun doing it. And more importantly, I can make money at it if I do it right. So that's what I did. I started in uh, in 1983, and I've been doing the same thing ever since. And it's 2020 right now. Uh, so, Michael, uh, that's great. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the product itself or the products that you've designed and um, and built in China, App Circle Pro and App King Pro. My understanding is that uh, it's a very successful line of products, and a lot of famous people are using it. The, uh, the Bush family, the Obama family, even President Vladimir Putin is using uh, AppKing Pro, uh, which is incredible. So what's next? Uh, first of all, the impact of coronavirus, the tremendous amount of shift in thinking and in manufacturing potentially, or will it stay the same? Will it stay in China? And what are you planning to do to diversify your manufacturing capabilities? Are you going to move manufacturing? Are you going to stick around? You know, what, what are you going to, to do in terms of planning? Tell us a few words about that. Well, um, there was a couple questions in there, and they're all great questions. But the, the first thing I did was, was start on a local basis. Before you can think global, they always say start locally. So I literally, in the, in the early 80s, we didn't really have access to know who's making what around the world. You know, you had to you had to wait for these big giant catalogs of these global trade shows, and they would say, "Well, here's who's exhibiting, and here's some pictures of what they make." And then, you know, months ahead of time, you would plan to go over and meet with these people in these different trade shows. Trade shows were the way that we all did business back then. And I didn't have a lot of money. I was a young guy. I was 22 years old. I just hired local manufacturers, and and when I mean local manufacturers, I mean a guy in a garage with a cutting uh, blade and a and a welding torch. Because I was making exercise equipment, and it's really bet metal. You're just taking steel, putting it together, adding some vinyl and some cables, and here you have a pull down machine. So I started to make that locally, and then putting it into uh, facilities like high schools and uh, gyms uh, for football players to use. And they, you know, can I get one of these for my home? Well, that's when the light bulb went off, and I went and opened up a sporting goods store that sold nothing but but weights. You know, imagine telling your parents you're going to sell dumbbells. They're like, what? <laughs> Nobody's buying these things. And I'm like, well, no one's buying them because there's no place to buy them. So I identified a marketplace that I thought existed that didn't exist. So it's hard to convince your family and any investors that you're going to sell these things in a marketplace that's not there. Well, I said, well, when I create the marketplace, I believe I will create competitors and, and build a business based on that. And that's exactly what I did. I was one of the first retail stores in all of America that sold nothing but weights, dumbbells, barbells, benches. And then, um, you know, fitness stores became a huge thing in the 90s. And I built it up to five stores before I was able to sell it. I'll speak later to why I moved on. But, um, but that's how I started. I, I took a sketch on a piece of paper to literally a, a guy in a garage with a welder and said, what do you think of this? We went and bought steel. Well, I'm, in, I'm in Youngstown, Ohio, where all the steel's made in the rust belt. So it's easy for me to find tubing. Made it, cut it, painted it, 
and started to sell it. And then there was a popular magazine in the 80s and 90s uh, called Joe Weider's Health and Fitness Magazine. The Weider's were the bodybuilding publishers of, of the, you know, the ninth of the, the last century. And I would put little black and white photos in the back with an 800 number. And, and voila, they were calling. I was packaging it up on the back of a truck and shipping it to people and waiting for their check to clear. So this was, this was way before swipe and all these things now that in Amazon where everybody can be, a, can be in business. You had to make all the different channels um, for your business. They weren't just sitting there waiting for you. So that's where I started from, from that to where I am today, where I just FaceTime with the factory and, and we're up and running. So, but, but we didn't have fax machines when I started. So I really, really built a product distribution business from, from scratch, literally from scratch. And I grew at this speed of technology and money. When technology came out, when a fax machine came out, I no longer had to mail my orders and I can now fax them and on and on. When computers came out, I could email them when, you know, so you grow at the speed of tech. And I think you've done the same thing in your business. You know, when we get new technology, we try it, we use it, we call each other. We're like, this is cool. Or sometimes we call and say, I don't like this. It doesn't work for me. But for the most part, um, I was able to go to 160 countries with products because technology allowed me to. I started with a product line that was gym equipment. And then there was a, a kind of, I merged to waiting on everybody in a retail store to becoming the manufacturer supplier to people that own stores like mine, to even going one step further to going direct to consumers on television. And you can't go direct to consumers on television with big bulky gym equipment. So I started to design, you know, unique products for the abs, for your, your bun and thighs, you know, products that just did sports specific and body part, part specific moves. And so I started to develop this ab line and figuring out ways to move people. And if you look at the ab roller plus, you're laying on the floor and it's carrying your shoulders forward and you're rocking. And with the ab king, you're going below parallels if there was a hole in the floor. And with the ab circle, you're going side to side in a lateral side flexion move that you can't do on any other product. So I would come up with these exclusive moves and I would come up with some type of uh, really nice, beautiful infomercial that had you know, entertainment, because it's 30 minutes, you people, you want people to, to not be able to change the channel, they're really liking what they see. And then at the end, you want them to buy it. Well, in regards to the world leaders and presidents that have, that have, have, have bought my products, I mean, they, they lay in bed with their wife, just like we do, and watch TV at night. <laughs> and, you know, if I can, if I can get them to, to pick up the phone or tell their, in the case of the presidents, they're probably not the ones ordering it. But if I can get them to do it, I can get anyone to do it. And they're consumers just like us. You know, before they were in office, they were just raising their family and buying stuff. So, but it, it, interesting, you know, I have one product called the Ab King Pro, and then I see Putin on it on a CNN interview working out. And uh, the joke was, you know, he only buys products with a king name on it because that's what he thinks he is. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> yeah. So we supply dictators, whether we want to or not. Um, but I knew I sold a lot in Russia. Most of them, unfortunately, were counterfeit. And uh, I'm not sure if he's on an original or a counterfeit, but it was definitely my machine. But that's a whole other podcast on 
how to defend yourself globally, right? Absolutely. Uh, that's, a, that, that's a great topic as well. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, coronavirus. Um, the impact of this is still, uh, we still have no idea what's going to happen. The disruption to the logistics uh, supply chain, the disruption to all the businesses, small, medium size, and large enterprises. What do you think is going to happen first and foremost? Uh, and what do, you, what do you think one should do when they're dependent on manufacturing in China? Yeah, I almost don't want to answer this question because I don't, I, I, I don't want to be prophetic because and, and, I'm, I'm afraid it's already happening. And, uh, you know, I want to avoid this from happening, but there's no way we can. And, and I don't even want to think about it because it pains me to think about. Um, I'm already affected. For instance, these, it's, it's awesome that we could give your, your, your listeners real-world examples that are like a day old. I sent a sample, this is two weeks ago, I sent a sample of, of my new item that helps people get up, it's called the ProRise. And I sent a sample to my designer, not even the factory. And um, DHL um, refused to deliver it to his house unless he submitted a uh, temperature check from a physician that he doesn't have uh, the flu, which as you know, could be, could be the coronavirus, right? So he was allowed to come pick it up after a week of phone calls. Uh, and, and you and I hadn't talked about this offline. So this is the first time you're hearing this. They set it outside and, and he could get it, uh, but he couldn't come in. And that's how paranoid the DHL delivery guys are. And there's, there's one place where he gets his, um, where he gets his uh, morning biscuit and coffee from, you know, like it's not a Starbucks. It's a, it's a knockoff, obviously it's in China. And he, the lady took a slide from the playground uh, next door and put it on the drive through window and she slides the food down and you, you pick it up. You can't even, she won't even hand it to you. So she you know, kind of duct taped the slide to the drive through window. And now here comes your bag of whatever you're getting for breakfast. But that's, that's what's happening on the ground there. And the fact that my guy couldn't even pick up the sample. So it took him a week to get the sample. Now he has it and he can't go to the factory because nobody's come back from Chinese New Year because they can't leave the towns they're in because they closed all the trains and airports. So China's not really, um, we're not gonna know the financial hit to them until their next reporting period. But I can tell you right now, it's gonna be severe. It's gonna it's gonna kill the world markets, and um, it's gonna get a lot worse before it gets better. And I don't want to be a doomsday, but I'm telling you, I'm, I'm I can't really get anything built right now because nobody nobody wants to go to the factory. They're, the Chinese are al- already a culture that is lives in fear of rumors, and you know it's very um, you know there's you know, if you go anywhere, you see even people the Chinese here have masks on even though there's no threat to them in, in Austin, Texas. I was in the airport last night and, and people, only the Chinese people had masks on. So they're, they're so cautious of the culture as it is. So imagine now that it's it, it hit their country, I mean, people are afraid to even go outside. So, so I think it's gonna be severe. And I'd be interested in your take, I'm sure your users would be as well, your listeners, because you're a global traveler. Uh, Michael, so the impact of, um... And I totally agree with you. And the impact of uh, coronavirus is going to be incredible and will be felt worldwide in a very major way. Um, 
as we're recording this uh, podcast on February 24th and then adding more to it later on April 4th, almost a, a month to a month and a half later, we have thousands of people dead. North of Italy is devastated by it. Uh, the entire Italy is kind of under lockdown. Uh, half of the United States is under lockdown. The uh, stock markets are completely devastated. So the impact of coronavirus is going to be pretty incredible. It will be felt for many, 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 many months to come. The relief packages will need to be pretty uh, significantly in the United States and the rest of the world. So it'll be interesting to see how you know how this is going to impact the uh, various businesses, uh, especially manufacturing in China, you know, and so forth. Yeah, this um, this Italian thing uh, over the last forty eight hours that's come to light on the, in the media is is very very it, it concerns me because um, I mean Italy really there's and if they're saying there's one hundred and forty three. What, what China has, has said is where, where they tell you there's 143, there's really 500. And then by the time you read that, it might be 800. Michael, I, I want to talk about a different topic for a moment. Um, we'll get to um, the uh, Eight Dates, which is a, an amazing uh, platform for dating that you've uh, come up with. We'll talk a little bit about your uh, book. But before we do that, I would love to talk about another virus that is uh, upon us and has been with us for quite some time, and that virus is ageism. You're, um, you're a guy in your 50s. You're a successful entrepreneur. You made it. You've given away so many different things for different generations of people. You've, you've coached. You uh, invested money. You uh, were a speaker, a trainer, you know, and so forth. You traveled to the globe. But not everybody can do this. Not everybody is as dynamic, as energetic as you are. A lot of folks in the 50s and the 60s are facing a very different type of uh, experience uh, than you are experiencing, than you are facing. So let's talk a little bit about that and how you feel about this and what do you think can be done about this if you, let's say, in your 50s or 60s and you want to pursue a career or you want to change a job or um, you're looking for a job. Say a few words about that. Well, I believe um, that that is not a thing anymore. And, and, I, and I don't believe that if I was 80, maybe, but there are so many startups that have 50 plus, even 60 something uh, CEOs in them that uh, you're as good as your idea. If you're 110 and you develop Facebook, do you think the investors wouldn't give you money? because you had 2 million users and you're trying to grow to, you know, what he is now, 2 billion. I think um, you stand behind your idea and nobody at this point, um, you know, has really said anything about my, you know, the fact I'm 57 and I shouldn't be doing this new startup. But, you know, my co-founders are 40 and 30 and that probably helps, right? Showing that there's some young blood in the company, but it's impossible to be in a startup without having some millennials in there. Because if you really want the skill sets that, that these guys are fresh out of school and, and, and know how to do Kubernetes and, and uh, tech stacks, you're not going to find 60 year olds that know how to do that. So you surround yourself with skill sets that, that, that you don't have, but what, what we do have, and, and this, I speak to you and me both, 
we have global experience and you can't, you can't, that, you, they don't teach that. They don't teach that at Harvard. They don't teach that anywhere. You know, I've been to China 126 times. That's 252 times flying over the Pacific and for 16 hour legs. Um, the people I've met, the people I've, I've sat next to and learned what they do and got ideas from, you, that can't be taught. So I bring um, a lot of experience, more probably than I care to admit to, but that's okay, you know, and I'll still make mistakes. Don't, don't, I'm not trying to say to the listeners, I'm perfect because I'm 57. You know, I'll still have failures, you know, products that I'll release that won't work, but, but not as much as a guy that's 25 that's just starting out. So, you know, you bet on the jockey in these, in these businesses because we all need help with venture capital. And it's good to have a good horse, but nothing's better than a good jockey. And I, I think I've earned the right to be considered a, a, a good risk when I come up with these ideas. So um, I don't want to do this forever, but I can't imagine um, with the way we can work from home and we have access to the world with FaceTime and, and Zoom. And I can't imagine not doing it for a very long time. I was fortunate enough to be asked to do a TED Talk uh, last year on the topic of how to take an idea from concept to consumer. Basically, a sketch on a napkin when you're sitting with your buddy saying, hey, we should do this to walk into Target and there it is sitting on the shelf. Well, how does it go from that to, to Target? How does it go from a napkin to Target, basically? And, um, and that goes for anything. It can go from an idea to the app store. Uh, it doesn't have to be Target, but a product's a product. You want consumers to either come in and use it, buy it, take it home. Um, and, and I did my TED talk on how I was able to figure out a formula to get somebody to respond to what you've created. And uh, I talked about, you know, how timing is so important. Cost is very important. Testing is very important. And uh, the competitive landscape is very important. And I put that all down in a, in a 12 minute, you have 12 minutes on TED stage, you know, well you have 20, but they tell you to take less. So I took 12, I listened. And um, out of that, a publisher who happened to be in the audience said this would make a great book. And then we'd like to you know, put you on all the shows and, and have you be, be kind of the guru of teaching people that have ideas what to do. I mean, there's Shark Tank and then there's, what else do I do? If I can't get on Shark Tank, who's gonna help me? So I, but I've, I've been fortunate enough for the last 30 plus years to be able to do from concept to consumer, financing, manufacturing, global distribution, you know, and as these new mediums came on with Facebook advertising and targeting and Amazon keywords and Google keywords. And I've, I've just, you know, I moved with the, with the industry, wherever advertising was going, I went with them. And when the customers stopped watching television, you know, where did they go? Well, they went to Facebook. So, okay, the 40 year old with two kids and the Range Rover in the suburbs is no longer watching discovery on Saturday morning, she's on her uh, her iPad and her iPhone, so I better be on there. So I I, I followed the customer, and I, that's what the TED Talk's all about: is how to adapt, how to how to develop, adapt, and distribute globally. And that's what the book's about. And and the book is a, a three series, you know how to how to create an idea, how to make the idea, and then how to market the idea. So it's the billion dollar product, the billion dollar prototype and the billion dollar marketing plan. 
because if you don't have, you, you can come up with ideas, but if you can't make it, what's the point? And definitely, if you can't identify who your customer is before you do all the other things, who are you going to sell it to? And what what it, what inventors fail to do, and, and big companies do this too, is is they'll develop a billion dollar product, and they never decided who their customer was before they did that, and then they have trouble selling it. So all these things have to be a perfect storm. And you know, luckily, four times I've had products that have hit the billion dollar sales mark globally. And I went back and looked at the characteristics of, of what they all had, and it was it was all that I knew what I was making, I knew what the, how I was gonna make it and at what price, and I knew beforehand who I was gonna sell it to. And, and that's my story, basically, in a nutshell, my whole life. And where I learned those skill sets, I think it was just by hard knocks, right? We go out and we fail, and then we say, well, why didn't that work? Well, because you're the only one that wanted it, you, you, you dummy. <laughs> you, didn't, you, you ask your mom, and she said, it's beautiful. Don't ask your mom. They're going to not hurt your feelings. They're going to tell you, sweetheart, it's the greatest product ever. What you have to do is ask someone that doesn't know you. And, uh, and because when you ask your friends and family, they will lie to you. And uh, then when you go out and lose money, they'll say, well, we didn't really like it, but we didn't want to hurt your feelings. So thanks, but no thanks. So now with the beauty of, of this, this Facebook targeting, you could test anything and find out if you should be in the business before you even start. You know, Michael, I love the fact that you're so razor sharp focused on this and um, you already know what the target audience is going to look like. You already know the use cases, the solutions, how it's going to you know, behave in the market, you know, and so forth. So it's an incredible um, asset that you bring to the table in terms of your experience, in terms of how you're able to conceive the product conceptualize the product and then take it to market, manufacture it, obviously test it, and then roll it out, scale it, you know, and so forth. By the way, for our audience is that we're going to uh, post a number of different links to great resources, online resources for Michael, the uh, links to his um, uh, different online properties, his uh, uh, personal uh, website, his personal bio site and so forth. So stay tuned for a lot more great information about Michael Casey and how to succeed and how to build and design and launch a billion dollar product. Now, Michael, let's switch gears a little bit and talk about your baby, recent baby, which is something called a date. And from what I understand, it is a dating app. I uh, was not necessarily involved very deeply with the project, but you told me about it early on. But uh, let's say uh, you know, let, let's, let's talk a little bit about this product and this app. Why another dating app? What is eight dates all about? Why is it called eight dates and so forth? Well, thanks for bringing it up. Um, the, the reason I, I, I did this is because, um, I saw a, the reason I do all my products is I see that there's a marketplace that's not being properly addressed. And if it's something that I feel like I have the expertise on, um, I'll, I'll go out and I'll attempt to try to find if there's a marketplace. And if I see that there is, you know, I'll go for it. And in this particular case, I was uh, using some of the products that were out there in the app store. And I was amazed that they were leaving you like a, with incomplete service. Uh, they were actually hooking you up with people and then disappearing. And I come from uh, the fitness space where when you call me to buy 
an ab machine or any one of my fitness products, you're calling me for a reason. You want to change your life. You want to lose weight and you're probably eating wrong. You're probably drinking too much. You, you know, you're not sleeping. So it's an opportunity for me to sell you a lot of other products on the back of my product. You know, why are you calling? Well, I want to lose weight. Well, what are you doing for fitness vacations? What are you doing for, you know, what are you eating? Uh, are you drinking a supplement, uh, you know, meal replacement? So it's called affiliate marketing. You know, when I booked my ticket last week on Southwest Airlines, they, they know I'm going to be in San Diego. They know I don't have a car there and they know, you know, I don't live there. So sell me a, rent me a car and get me a place to stay and maybe even tell me where I should go to dinner. So all that money Southwest is collecting on top of the ticket, the ticket purchase. So why aren't dating sites sending you to dinner? What are you doing when you meet someone? You're going to dinner. When you buy an ad machine, you're drinking some supplement or taking a pill or, or drinking a meal replacement. So it was, I know the affiliate market so well. I went out and I contacted Open Table and I contacted Eventbrite and Facebook events and Fandango and Ticketmaster and Vegas.com and, and, and all the hotel chains and the airlines. And I said, if I were to go get a million dating couples, would you be interested in giving me some discounts for them to show up at your venues? And they said, well, yeah, why isn't anyone doing that yet? And I said, well, yeah, good question. Well, I'm going to change that. And so I went out and I built um, what I call eight dates. And the reason we called it eight was because the studies show that were out there already before I even came up with this concept, um, that if you make it to eight, you probably found somebody special. And it gamifies and gives the, the woman control on the app. You know, slow it down, buddy. We're, we're going we're gonna to see if you can get to eight. If you're worthy, then maybe we can do an overnight. So we made it fun, and we actually helped the guy. If you've ever seen the movie Hitch or any of our listeners, I saw the movie Hitch where Will Smith is, is telling... Oh, yeah, great movie. Yeah, he's telling them what, what to do. Trust me. Take her here. She'll love it. That's us. We're Hitch. We're like, hey, send her these two recommendations because we already know she likes pasta and we know she's a fitness enthusiast. So there's this vegetarian, uh, you know, healthy pasta place down the street. And so he says, hey, it's nice to meet you. I enjoyed coffee. Would you like to go here? And then they book it right in app on open table. And I think it's, it's, uh, it will disrupt the dating space because it doesn't leave you alone. It, uh, it, it basically helps the couples, you know, have a successful relationship and that's, and that's what we built. And, uh, it's not fitness, but it is, it is healthy relationship type. And, you know, I make products that are good for society and make, make people better. So I felt like this you know, I, I sold a makeup uh, product back in the, in the early 2000s, Pure Minerals, that I developed, which was healthy makeup. And it, it was better for women. So it wasn't a stretch for me to go out and do something outside of actual fitness. Because even though the app store is not Target, it is a store and it does have products in it. And people need to go in there and buy them and use them. So, sure, it's not uh, something you could touch but it's something you could download and enjoy. And uh, I feel very comfortable being the CEO of that company. I'm very proud of what we built. And we currently got approved. We're in the app store. We're closing out our seed round. So if there's any investors listening to this podcast, um, I'm pitching you right now. So feel free to call me. I love it. I love it. And this is a little bit of a Texan in you 
Right, Michael? I mean, you, you live in Austin, Texas, which is a hotbed of innovation, investor community, startup community, uh, and it's a great place. I've visited many, many times. Say a few words about that. So what, what that attitude, that Texan attitude, um, your attitude, what, what separates you from uh, a few other folks out there who are trying to do the same thing, who are trying to build a, um, you know, build a billion dollar product or build a, a unicorn company. Say, talk a little bit about attitude. Talk a little bit about your advice to our global audience as to what you have to do to win. What do you have to do to go global and so forth? Well, I think you have to, um, I think you have to believe in yourself first, right? We're all told that by our parents and by our teachers. And you have to put yourself in a place where you have the support that it's one thing to believe in yourself, but it's also another thing to have skill sets to make what you believe in happen. And I'm in Austin, Texas, which is, you know, Google, Apple, uh, Facebook, uh, Apple's building their largest campus outside of uh, Cupertino here. Google's building their largest outside of, of uh, where they're located. Uh, and, and Facebook is building their largest campus here. And I believe, you know, this is, this is a Silicon Valley, the future of tech, product development, uh, and the resources I have here are amazing. Um, like the team I put together on eight dates, unless I was in uh, Silicon Valley, I don't think I could have put a team like this together. And so by, and, and I didn't come here because I wanted to be in the tech space. You know, I came here because it was an emerging market and I knew it would help me. But once, once I arrived and after a few years of going to these conferences and the big one we all know is South by Southwest, one of the biggest in the world, um, it just fires you up and it makes you believe in yourself and it makes you believe that you can, you can pretty much conquer the world from here. And, um, and so, you know, I jumped into the tech space and, and love it. And, um, Eight Days is my first. It won't be my last. And I believe it's my next billion dollar product. And I, and I speak to that in the book and um, I'm, you know, I'll stand behind that and maybe in our next, you know, if I'm lucky enough to be asked back uh, on your podcast, maybe a year from now we had an exit and, and we're off to another startup. Well, you know, uh, I cannot imagine not doing it, uh, you know, at all. I think I'm probably going to be doing this until I'm 85 uh, because it is, you know, we live in such interesting times. It's incredible. I'm always learning. I'm learning from people like you. I'm learning from myself, from others. And it's, it's incredible as to what's happening in almost every aspect of our life, in almost aspect of our business, whether we're in healthcare or financial technologies or, uh, you know, travel and tourism. Yes, we have, we will always have coronaviruses. We will always have obstacles and, and issues and so forth and so on. But the world is such an amazing and interesting place in terms of business, in terms of personal relationships, in terms of learning different cultures. And as you pointed out, different foods that I am, you know, I, I, I look back when I was 20, 30, and I have not had that much fun uh, that I'm having right now if, if in my fifties. So I totally agree with you, but obviously when we talk about the, the issues of ageism and, you know, 
when when we talk about what AARP is doing in terms of you know raising the um, the issue and uh, helping with the issue, uh, you have to admit that some level of this exists in corporations. Some level of this is uh, real when it comes to recruiting industry, when it comes to uh, HR, you know, and so forth. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah I, I mean, mean, I mean, Alex, if you and I right now were to apply at IBM, we'd be put down at the bottom of the list, right? Because we're in our fifties, of course, they don't want to build a career of a guy who's already had a career. Not, not, not to pick on a IBM who's my alma mater, but you know, yeah. I'm, I'm not but sure you why you pick, mean. yeah, I'm not sure why yeah. you pick them, but, but I understand, you know, you know, stereotypically, I guess we would, we would say that, you know, any large organization, any large corporation. Yeah, but any uh, but the, the 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 business that you and I are in of creating and developing and working with global partners, I think we're okay. I think we're we're positioned perfectly, and the money's nice when it works. But I don't. I do this for the money, obviously, because we have to pay our bills. But I forget sometimes it's about the money because I'm enjoying it so much, and it's like even if I didn't need the money, I still would do this. Because it's um, creating and seeing something work is nothing's better than that. You know, do what you love and the money will follow. And, and that's something I'll always love buying. And the second thing that I could tell the, the listeners is never lose sight of your goal. And, and, and what I mean by that is if you're about to make a decision in a company, go back and say, well, will this get us to where, what the goal is? And if the answer is no, then don't do it. And those two things, you know, do what you love and, and don't lose sight of your goal is what I try to constantly think of every day when I'm, when I'm making decisions. But are you, are you saying that, um, I mean, and again, we're going to use this cliche type of a statement, do what you love and the money will follow, right? Now you're in your fifties, you've amassed a tremendous network of contacts and business associates and investors and so forth, you have gone through all of the, all of this amazing experiences. What would you say to a 20 some years old individual who's entering the, the, the work, uh, workplace and there are no jobs, there are no jobs out of school and, uh, they have to pay, you know, they have to pay the bills. They have to sustain themselves. Some of them, you know, the, some of the Gen Zs and millennials are still living with their parents. Mm-hmm. They, necess- they cannot necessarily afford to, to do what you're doing. They maybe cannot afford to do what they love at the moment. What would you say to them? I would say you have to get, you have to innovate. You have to, if you know that there's a category that you're in love with, study that category and find out what's missing and try to fill of what's missing in that category and it doesn't have to be that you got to buy a bunch of inventory it could be a service it could be you know maybe there's an app solution to it you could get some tech buddies to help you build it but if you you know a lot of the um the very successful people they were doing things that they knew and they understood and they liked you know bill gates liked coding he liked software and you look at him now you know um if you look at the Bezos story, he saw a need for people to buy books over the internet and everyone thought he was crazy. Well, he identified a market that nobody knew existed. So innovation will get you out of, off your parents' couch or out of the basement. 
That's what I did. Saw a market. I, I actually grabbed the yellow pages. We used to have big, thick books. Uh, anyone in millennials that are listening, <laughs> you should drop them on our front porch. And if you needed a business, you went to the back and you found that was our Google, right, Alex? And and I looked up exercise equipment, and there wasn't a category. Imagine that if if you went on Google right now and typed in fitness, and it was a blank screen. So talk about being ahead of the market. So when I asked my landlord, a big mall developer, if I could run a space, and he said, what are you gonna sell? And uh, I said, I'm gonna sell fitness equipment. And he goes, is anyone doing it? And I said, no. He goes, how come? I said, because they missed the market. And I remember when I got the phone book, it's almost like in the movie, The Jerk, Steve Martin, when he's in the phone book and he's running down the street, I made the phone book. That was me. I was exercise equipment and one location, one listing. It was Casey's Barbell City in Mentor, Ohio. So I actually started a category um, and all the yellow pages in the United States. And I, so I innovated and that got me out of steel mills um, firemen, I, I would have a noble profession. I would have loved it, but you know, I was offered all these positions, either pouring hot iron or working at the fire department. And I decided, um, to innovate and take a different road. And that, and that is why we're here because I met you, um, at a conference pitching my, my app and I was able to see, you know, 60, 70 countries around the world. And, and, and do a couple hundred flight global flights. So I've been blessed, very blessed. It's an amazing story uh, coming from steel mills and very humble beginnings and making this uh, what a tremendous success. Now, Michael, uh, we're getting closer to the end of this episode, but and we would love to have you back uh, in some future times. But I would like to ask you a final question for the audience and for yourself as well. What's next? You've done so many different things. You know, I know you're, you're um, anxious to uh, launch in a big way the Eight Dates platform. You're going to continue to sell the sports equipment. You're going to continue to do some philanthropy work and to give back. But what do you see yourself in 10 years, for example, when you're, uh, you know, I don't, I don't mean to call the age, but uh, when you're 67, 68, what, what is Michael Casey going to be like in 10 years? Well, great questions. And I, I don't usually think that far out and, and maybe some people do. I usually think, well, what am I going to be doing in six months? You know, what, what am I going to be doing in a year? Um, but my, my next venture that I'm, well, I'm, I'm finishing uh, launching, of course, the, the dating platform. And I'm, I'm hoping for an early acquisition on that um, because there's a lot of opportunities for lo much larger companies to grow it. And I like to build things and sell them and have other, other firms that are in that space grow them because I think that's smart for the investors and it's great for the product. Give the product a chance. Um, my next venture is in the wellness space and it's um, actually very simply helping people get up and down. And I have a uh, work with a design firm out in San Diego that has helped me develop about five or six different products to start with, with another, you know, endless 10 to 20 to 30 products to follow that just simply help people that can't get out of a chair. And the population around the world, as we all know, is 
there's a huge amount of, um, a, you know, we're living longer and people have to take care of themselves. And that's a huge problem in India and China and, and Japan and, and the United States. I mean, there's, you start looking at all these markets and you just get so excited as a product distributor and developer, but I'm going to help, um, I'm going to help old people get up and down. Um, and the first item is called the pro rise and it's, a it's an item that when you can sit in your Barker lounger and get up without help. And I think that solves a huge problem. And it's, these are hundred and $200 solutions, not, not caregiver $11,000 a month in a nursing home solutions. You know, I believe in economical solutions. And when you start to get into our parents and our grandparents, they can't afford a $10,000 a month caregiver, picking them up and sending them down, including in the bathroom and, and, and just in a simple Barker lounger. Um, but you know, Hey, 150, $200 solution, $99 solution could be a market. So there's not a current marketplace for that. The current marketplace is send a big guy over to your house and he picks you up or have your sister or brother do it and hurt their back. So I believe there's an untapped market to help people get up and down. And, um, so much so I'm willing to invest the next couple of years finding that out. And, um, and, and that's, that's my next, uh, that's my next project. Uh, Michael, you know what I love about you is that you focus in such a razor sharp way where you already know the pricing model. You already know who's going to buy it. You, you, you already know probably who's going to you know, do it, who's going to manufacture it, how you're going to ship it, you know, and so forth and so on. And again, our audience is going to benefit from a lot of links, a lot of references to your success stories and your resources online. So we're, we're very, uh, very grateful to you. We're beneficiaries of this incredible experience. We'll post some links to your uh, assets, to your information. And I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for being our guest. And we will definitely get back to you in the next three to four months and uh, catch up with you to see how things are going with the product. Um, hopefully by that time, the coronavirus will be done with and we will be able to jump on the plane like you and I used to and go travel uh, again, meet some great people and do some great business. Thank you so much.